Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So, Go do that. Uh, again, that's chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition. We are taping this 2.30 East Coast time with my good friend, John Taylor of Fangrass.com, where he will be every Wednesday. Yeah, check that. Wednesday instead of Tuesdays with the baseball season underway because we have another baseball thing coming on Sunday. So I want to hit two a week and I want to bre- kind of split, split, spread it out a little bit. But uh, John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good. I'm I'm doing good here on this totally new day and and how weird that is it's totally weird. weird what's weird about it for you it's very weird it's 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 a it's a, it's a new day it's a different day it's a new day yes it is bum, bum, it's a different that's, day that's a WWE reference i was i wasn't letting you finish that <laughs> that's that's just i just wasn't gonna look that out. uh john you've been busy man <clears throat> your instagram i've been living vicariously through you over the last yeah week. i've been doing doing a lot of traveling a lot of here a lot of there a lot of everywhere a lot of all places in between where are you at the moment um, I am currently in Chicago. Okay, uh, where I was last week. I went to Milwaukee over the weekend. I will be going to St. Louis this coming weekend. Ooh. And Louisville. Yeah, very exciting. Wait, how did you say so? Louisville. Mm. That's not how you say it. Louisville. Mm. How are you supposed to say it? Louisville. Like you have to have like a. You gotta. It has to sound like you're you're really dragging it out that you don't want to go there. That's the way to remember. It's Louisville. Ah, uh, Louisville. Okay. It just, They'll be it's like, like, oh like my god, he's from at here. A certain point. I'm giving you just uh, touristy tips at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for making sure that I don't get torn apart. I mean, that's by angry <laughs> Louisvillians. Are you gonna go see the KFC Yum Center? Is is that like the stadium there? That's the basketball arena. It's called the KFC oh. Yum Exclamation Mark Center. Uh, no, I, I will not be seeing the, the <laughs> what KFC. What about Papa John? Is he still there? What is Papa John up to these days? Uh, racism. I'm that assuming. is true. That is what he's up to. And a weird voice. The weirdest voice. A really weird voice. Um, but yes, I will be hitting up there among other places. 
Well, there you go. I'm and excited. So, How much longer are you doing this uh, trip, man? How much? Ma- uh, through the end of next week. Then I re- then I'm back to New York. Okay. So it's all, it's almost over. No, but enjoy it, man. That's awesome. That's one of those oh, of things course. that it's, people don't get to do. It's been a great often. time. Well, I'm happy for you, buddy. Um, who you're not happy for, because we're going to do our first half takeaways with the All-Star break happening, baseball returning this weekend, but um, we're, this show is going to be all about our first half takeaways. John, we can do it back and forth of our takeaways. Um, first up for yes. me, we were all wrong about the New York Yankees. I was going back through Pakota projections, Fangraphs projections, just like penciling in 100 wins. Like The Yankees aren't bad. And it's mm. just the the expectations are different as they should in New York. They're a good team. They're just not a great team. And injuries have also been a part of it. We've had Garrett Cole sobbing over uh, <laughs> being able to grip the ball differently now. Um, it's been a weird year in New York to say the least. But um, yeah, it just seems like we, I was going back through a lot of previews and things like that. And I'm like, man, uh, no one really pegged the Yankees as a we're fighting for our playoff lives team in uh, mid-July. No, and a lot of that was because nobody expected the Yankees to have a league average offense, which that's what they have for all intents and purposes. It's a league average offense. And yeah, I mean, there's only so much you could like, you you didn't see that coming. None of us us saw that coming. So yeah, it's just, and the weird thing when you look at the, what the Yankees offense does or has done rather and continue or, I guess hopefully they will not continue to do. They're just not hitting for any power as a team. That that to me is the weirdest thing. I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I think when we looked at this Yankees team, we all expected, well, if nothing else, they're going to hit for power. They currently rank 17th in slugging percentage in the major leagues. Uh, and I believe 19th in isolated power. So that has not happened. Yeah, yeah 19th. They're Liga and by, you know, as part of that, they're league average offensively by both uh, weighted on base average and, and WRC plus. And it's funny because per stat cast numbers, they're hitting the ball hard. They have the highest hard hit rate of any team in the majors. So, so for, I, I would imagine, though, that a lot of this problem, and if you know, take a very quick look at it, is this team is not particularly athletic. So a lot of those hard hits don't seem to go for extra bases very often. Uh, they have a very high ground ball rate, 10th highest in the majors. So a lot of those balls are getting hit hard right off the ground, despite a pretty decent home run to fly ball ratio. And I think you also see, even even beyond offensively with this team, I think something you see is that they are just not very... I, I, I think I brought up the athleticism thing before, but this is just kind of a stuck roster in a sense. And I don't think we really appreciated going into this that depth-wise there was there didn't seem to be a whole lot there not just depth-wise but that kind of moving pieces around with this team or at least this team being flexible enough to withstand injuries or issues that just has not really been the case and I don't necessarily know how you fix that because something I think we've talked about before is that this Yankees roster there's not really a whole lot you can move in or out depending on how you feel about things financially or about the players you would want to kind of you know that you would hope would bring something back this is the Yankees are in a really weird spot. I mean, they're just and, and it's kind of, it's obvious like the things that they are just kind of plain not good at. They're just they're not great defensively. They have a lot of guys in positions that just don't really make sense. Like I said, they don't hit for a lot of power. They don't seem to do well when it comes to uh, any of the and I and I understand too that situational hitting is one of those things that you know there's no 
you know, you, you can't predict it. It is all for is for all intents and purposes um, random. But the Yankees, I mean, just for example, they lead the league in in double plays grounded into in thirteen percent. They are near the bottom of the league in productive outs in terms of outs that advance a runner or that don't result in a lead runner being advanced. Um, their percentage of base runners who scores is particularly low it is the second worst in the league only they only turn 12 percent of their base runners into runs the red sox lead the league at 16 percent um they do not advance runners very often i mean it's it's just something where you just see like in all these various small ways and again like i said you can't really like for example sit like double plays are not necessarily a thing where you can predict it but the yankees put a lot of runners on base and they don't cash them in in part because they're not a particularly speedy team they're pretty home run reliant and their lineup is just this up and down, very thin, not occasionally thin kind of mess. And I think they're getting better in that regard. I mean, DJ LeMahieu has, has been hitting better. They have uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge back, seemingly both at full health. But yeah, there, there's just not the kind of consistent offensive performance you expect from this Yankees team. And I think that that's, you know, even beyond everything else they're dealing with with Garrett Cole's struggles to adapt to the non-sticky stuff. And I think you're seeing something similar with the role as Chapman and with the rotation issues they have behind them, et cetera, et cetera. I think really the biggest thing is they just can't score runs consistently. And when you can't do that, everything else gets a little more complicated. There's just a, like when you start thinking about the postseason, cause I think we can do that now with just how set in stone most of these divisions are at this point. Um, like I just, I don't see a path to them beating the Astros in a five or seven game series, right? Like you just laid out I, the I, case I against them. I mean, I, I won't bet against the Yankees in any short series, at least because they do have Cole. And if he's closer to what he has been in the past, and that's a huge advantage. And they do have those guys in, in judge and Stanton and LeMahieu and Gary Sanchez, who, you know, they can very easily run into a pitch and, and, and take it out. But I think the thing you see with this Yankees team is they just seem to have such a hard time generating runs on a consistent basis. And it really does seem like it's only about half the lineup that really does the work. And some of that is, you know, they've, they lost Aaron Hicks to injury. Glaber Torres has just not come together. You know, they're not getting consistent production out of Sanchez or anyone else at the catcher spot. Um, you know, the, the, and every lineup has holes. But, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the big thing. It's like if they're going to be facing playoff caliber pitching for, you know, five or seven straight games, are you, do you really feel confident that this current Yankees offense – and this is something, too, where they're, they're, I don't have the numbers to back this up necessarily, or at the very least there are not statistics that will neatly uh, still neatly align to what I'm thinking. But this is something I've felt in both Yankees-Red Sox series that we've seen so far, and I think we've seen with the Yankees a few other times through the course of the year. They do not seem to be a very resilient team. Mm. They seem to be a team that either when they start losing – that's it. You can pretty well put a you can pretty well put a fork in them. That's it for the end of the day. Or that when things go bad, they just seem to crumble at that at that adversity. And I I think even beyond what's happening with the Yankees, just on a purely statistical level, I imagine that within that clubhouse there is probably a great sense of frustration and a kind of exhaustion and just they're probably just fed up at this point. This is a team that had its two best years of the current core and the current roster. And not to use Yankees fans' terminology, but essentially stolen from them by first the Astros and then the Red Sox, both of whom are, you know, the Astros much more so than Boston, but pretty credibly mm-hmm. accused of definitely did some cheating. 
And I think that the combination of those two things, you have the 2019 season where once again they fell short to Houston. You have the 2020, I mean, all the all the mental and emotional exhaustion of the 2020 season coupled with losing to a raised team that they very clearly do not like. I wouldn't be surprised if to a certain degree some guys in that clubhouse, if maybe that team as a whole is just worn out, that this is just they have reached a point where they are they have nothing left to give, so to speak. And I think you see it just in the way Aaron Boone manages, too, where it just feels like there's no urgency or intensity or energy to anything that's happening in, in New York. It just feels like they're all kind of sleepwalking all the time. And I do wonder if they've just kind of – if there have just been too many uh, individual pieces of straw on the camel's back at this point. If the kind of resilience of this team has kind of been broken over the last few years because of they just keep running into a wall over and over again. And in the process, I think, exhausted what was probably the best window for this current roster, depending, of course, on how things play out with, with Cole going forward and with, with everything else. But certainly this, this does not feel like a Yankees team that really has that kind of vibe of, you know, we're here and we're good and we're going to kick some ass. It's more just like, you almost get the sense of a team that's like, please just let us, like, we're, we're struggling with enough. Please just, like, please help. Like, th- that's just the vibe that comes off this team is one giant, just exaggerated sigh and just go, screw it then, whatever, who cares? We're, we're, we're tired of this. And that permeates up to the top because you now have Cashman, like those reports. I thought, it, I think it was Buster only on his podcast. <clears throat> and maybe uh, Rosenthal. I think, I, I actually think it was Rosenthal on his Sunday show. Um, on the athletic MLB show where he was talking about this, where there is a sense like he could do the Epstein thing, right? Where he's just like, I, I did my stuff. I've been here forever. It clearly everyone's burnout. Like this core is burnout. Like let's just, uh, let me go try a new challenge and go run the athletics or something like, or just take a break and move for like, I think there is real potential that, uh, New York can undergo some some real real significant changes if things do not turn around in a major way in the second half. Yeah, and I think part of that is, I mean, I I, I think Cashman is there as long as he wants that job, but I do agree yeah. that I, I do agree that this may we may be at a point where there needs to be some kind. I think there needs to be some kind of change with the Yankees in some capacity or another. And I don't know what it looks like. I'm not close enough to the team slash I don't pay enough attention to their inner workings to tell you what's not working and what kind of needs to change. But it does feel like the roster they have built and the the current team that exists is just not does not work for whatever reason for this current stage of baseball. And it also does just feel like maybe this is a group whose time has just kind of come at a mm. certain point. That maybe what this team needs is a different voice, a different a different energy in that in that clubhouse. And I think probably at this point, too, a different manager. I would be surprised if Aaron Boone... I think Boone gets to finish the season. I don't really see the point in the Yankees canning him now. Uh, I, I, Cashman does not seem like the kind of guy who just wants to th- throw the dice on an interim guy suddenly sparking the team. That just doesn't really seem likely. And I don't get the sense that Boone is necessarily the problem here. I just get the sense that Boone is no longer the solution. And I really would not be surprised if during the offseason, either the Yankees let him go or he says, I'm, re- I'm stepping down because X, Y, and Z. I mean, he has had the heart issue. He had the heart issue in the offseason. So maybe there's also some medical stuff going on with there with him, too, where he, just, he has just looked and seemed way more tired and less energetic than I think people remember seeing him in the past. But I, I do think there's probably playoffs or not, because I don't, also don't think this is a Yankees team that's going to storm into the playoffs and win it all. I think playoffs or not, this is a this is a roster and, a, and an organization that's probably coming for some 
not maybe not substantial, but I think for some notable changes in the offseason. Uh, I think maybe more in the managerial side of things than than probably on the roster because I think we've talked about like aside from the guys who are free agents on this team and who will walk, mm. there's not a whole lot you can do with this roster as currently constructed. It, it, it's it's a little bit static and a little bit jumbled. Yeah, but they're the Yankees and it's not real problems because they can fix all of this very quickly by opening up the checkbook. That uh, it's hard to shed too many tears for the new york yankees um yeah and, that, and that's kind of like the, the big like i also am like no i'm not gonna feel bad for this team yeah. ever ever and ever ever in any capacity i feel bad in the slightest degree that especially against houston because that team effectively just shut them out of title contention for a solid three-year window or not three years but for two years plus i mean obviously 2018 they were good as well um even though it was the red sox in that period but, I mean, I think that's – if you're a Yankees fan, that's the hardest one to swallow. Is that that 2017 team – those teams from 2017 through 2020 were probably the best that this Yankees roster were capable of doing. And twice they had to run into the franchise that was cheating its ass off, like just cheating through its teeth. And then they also had to meet the best Red Sox team of any lifetime that might have also been cheating maybe. Who knows? And then a really good Rays team. Like that's that's just the other part. They've had some really bad luck in that there's been other teams at the top of the mountain who have been just as good, if not better. And oh, I mean that's that's the Billy Bean kind of kind of mindset. Ultimately, is sometimes your shit just doesn't work when you need it to work, and that's the that's the saddened reality for these particular Yankees. Well, that's enough on the New York Yankees. That we got our ratings in, John. We we did what we need to do. We, yeah, now we've ratings. done our Sunday night game. Yes. Um, your takeaway, John. Give me a takeaway. Give give you a takeaway. Okay. Um, remember how we all thought the NL East was going to be like a tough division, mm. like dog fight, start mm. to finish. Hell no, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It just sucks. And like some of that, like obviously, you know, for example, Ronald Acuna's injury, which more or less ends the Braves' division hopes. Like. No, none of us saw that coming. Oh, can I give you a, a conspiracy thing that I saw flirting around? Uh, Please don't tell me that's to do with Ronald Acuna's tornado. How? How? How is this going to be in a, a conspiracy? I'm really actually no. How they flip this? this? Like how okay. they how they all do this? How this all unfolds? And I I don't know if you can bet on this. This would be wild to see, and I don't know what the actual value is. But like, if the Braves now trade Freeman and he just resigns this offseason like that's how you approach all of this is just you trade freeman now to a contender like a yankees or whatever and then he just comes back anyway so they give up a bunch of stuff and then freeman just returns anyway that's the silver lining is how you can get it that would be that would be very funny i'm not gonna lie i would Um, i would consider it just have like a bat like a handshake deal with freeman be like we'll we'll pay you but uh we're gonna flip you now and get some stuff well i mean i think i think the problem i think the problem the braves would run run into besides a fan revolt even if that was the plan was that the cubs are probably going to make anthony rizzo available and he's just going to be the cheaper version of freeman that i imagine more teams are going to be interested in yeah um i mean i'm sure if they put freeman on the market they'd get some bites of course but it'd be like a season sabathia situation in milwaukee or something like that yeah i think if and speaking of milwaukee like they're the most heavily linked to rizzo and there's just a gaping hole there um at first so i i don't know that'd be interesting to get a bidding war uh from milwaukee i think even Um, even beyond like okay the nl east wasn't as good as we thought it was it's like okay so assuming that this is the mets division to win mm -hmm. because i and i truthfully have no faith in any of the other teams in that division what does that mean for teams like atlanta and washington and philly 
Miami, at the very least, was a team where make the playoffs, don't make the playoffs. That didn't really matter this year. And they continue to churn out very good young players. So I think I think with Miami, it's probably the team where you look at the Annalise, you look at them in last. Like, first of all, you're, you're probably better than last place in this division and have, in fact, played better than last place in, the, in this division. You, by Pythagorean record, they're five games over 500. Um, problem is they're just not a particularly good offensive team, and their bullpen has sunk them in, in, in one-run games. But if you're the Phillies and the Braves and the Nationals who all kind of had an eye on, you know, this is a year for contention, we are, we are division, if not favorites and contenders, kind of what's the next step for them? I mean, I, I know there are long-term pieces for all of those teams where it's not to say, okay, we tear it all down and start over, but especially to lose a division in what was going to be very much a winnable year, kind of what do you, what do, you do if you're like Atlanta at this point? You like you've now No, you buy. Like that's the thing is I think you send the message that like – hey, we may not be competing for the World Series, but, like, this is still a buy. Like, you save money on Acuna and Albies. Like, you should still be buying. And, like, you can still add people who will help you next year. Like, I wrote about this, um, I guess it was Friday, where, like, Brian Reynolds is out there. And, like, he's under team control, I believe, through 2025. Like, just go trade for him. Like, you know you have a hole there. You don't know what you're going to have in Drew Waters and Christian Pache, and I guess you could try that out down the stretch. But, like... Ultimately, you need to add pieces now that can actually help you going into next season because Acuna is not going to be ready at the start of next season by all accounts. So if he's not, you know Ozuna's gone. And, like, I don't know how that's all going to unfold cap-wise. But, like, I I just think you have to you have to spend the money that you are not – like, even go after a starting pitcher. Like, I, I think you have to bite the bullet on Smiley. And I would trade Morton and then also acquire an arm – who is under team control. Like, you could go after... I, I don't think Kyle Gibson makes the most sense, but, like, uh, Marquez in Colorado? Like, why would you not call... And he's under team control for several more years. Like, that is what I would do, is buy where you're going after guys who are under team control for a couple more years, so it's not a rental because you're not contending this year, but go get players that can actually help you and keep adding so that it's not like you're playing from behind and you're digging yourself a hole because Acuna is not ready to start next year. So that's what I would do is buy, but buy um, smartly. Yeah. And I guess that was probably the better phrasing for that question is if you are the Phillies, Braves and nationals, you are 500 or worse. You're, you know, you're a few games, you're, you're still alive in the division, but it's, it's, it's a tough haul and it's going to be an, it's an even tougher race outside of the division because you're behind, two NL West teams and Cincinnati in the wild card plus the Cubs are and Cubs and Cardinals are floating around there as well it's almost like what do you define yourself as for the next three weeks are you buyers are you sellers are you something in between because I have to imagine if you're the Phillies you're probably just you're probably trying anyway because why not but if you're the Braves or if you're the Nationals and you or any of the I guess that's the thing I, I can't speak for any of those teams but what what kind of is the pathway forward for any of those teams who are who are also alive in the NL East but are kind of facing that place of we're not serious contenders and this roster as it currently exists probably needs to be changed in some capacity especially Washington which is I think a team that you know they have to answer the looming will they won't they question on trading Scherzer which I I'm gonna just come down and say I don't think they will but you know you get the sense especially that for that team uh, that window has closed the 2019 team was Pretty much, not if not the last gasp, then certainly the kind of culmination of everything that that particular roster represented, and that the future there is now okay. Now we build around Soto and Turner if we can get him signed to a long term deal, and Strasburg, 
and we move away from the veterans and we start trying to focus on creating a younger, better roster. So what does that mean for this deadline? Or if you're the Nationals, do you decide, screw it, we still have Scherzer, we're, we're a better team than we think, let's make a run for it, why not? I guess I guess it seems like of those three, of the Phillies, Braves, and Nationals, do you think any of them has the capacity to either to make that run or to, or to make the moves that would supplant a run or that would supplement a run to supplant the Mets? Yes, the Phillies. I believe in the Phillies. Wow, I, I, I like how you've just been in on the Phillies from the start, <laughs> despite the fact that they are just a perpetual embarrassment and disgrace. And they're still hanging around. Like, if they just fix the bullpen, just I would just keep throwing. Got, We've like, been saying the Phillies fix the bullpen since I think <laughs> the dawn of time. But it's just never gonna happen. It's Dombrowski, dude, and the bullpen. Like, I think you just go all in. Like the, the like, I think you you keep throwing stuff at the wall. There's so many problems. Like they have a rotation that is basically Zach Wheeler and not a whole lot else, and a and an injured and inefficient Aaron Nola. Mm-hmm. They have a lineup that is. I know they've had a lot of injuries there too, and they're getting some guys back, and that helps. But that really hasn't produced. Like you're starting Nick Maton, and and not starting, but playing Nick Maton and Ronald Torres and Luke Williams, and they've done a decent job keeping the team afloat. But center field is still a very big hole for them. Alec Bohm, even though he's turned it around somewhat, is still not hitting particularly well. Didi Gregorius has not hit well at all. I just wonder if this Philly team ultimately can't do better than 500 because that's just where all their holes keep dragging them down toward, especially when you factor in that overall, the Phillies just seem to be kind of a stupid team. Every time you see them play, they're doing something deeply stupid. (laughs) They're just a team that doesn't seem to have any real direction, where there's no one seemingly in charge, where win streaks happen and losing streaks happen just kind of out of nowhere because... I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to put zero faith in the Phillies to do anything good ever because this franchise has demonstrated exactly four years of competence, roughly, in my 34 years alive on this earth. That's fair. And those years of competence were quite a while ago under a completely different brain trust with completely different players. And that's not to say this year's Phillies are bad. I just don't see where the optimism is that they can get their shit enough together to do anything but be an eight a 500 team going forward i'm not saying i have you the know, optimism i'm saying they make the most sense of those three you okay you think they're the best bets in that group yes okay yeah i, I would probably agree with that but i think that says way more about the rest of that group than it does about <laughs> it's fair um which is next, actually oh yeah like i feel i just feel weird to, to wrap it up saying that the mets are now the easy division favorites they're the freaking mets nothing is easy for them and they're True. still somehow only three and a half games up despite the fact that this, the rest of this division has been just a rolling garbage barge of fire this whole time. So, I, I don't know. I, I, As always with the Mets and with the NL East, I just throw my hands up and go, who the hell knows, ultimately. Yeah. Um, Fangraphs gave the Giants a 0.2% chance of winning the division before the season and a 5.7% chance to make the playoffs. And I believe at the break, they have the best record in baseball. Key takeaway. Uh Oops. <laughs> Key takeaway, the game happens on the field and not on paper. And sometimes yeah, take that data. Yeah. Take it, that. Take take that for data. But I love that David Fisdale, by all accounts, is not a good head coach, but he at least left us with that wonderful mm-hmm. little line before he disappeared into the ether. He's um, back. He's, he's an assistant coach for the Los Angeles Lakers next year. That's great. Good for David Fisdale, who will continue <laughs> giving that to data or whatever. Um I know we've talked about the Giants before. It, it really is, I don't think, anything more complicated than their veterans are hitting well again, and they have surprisingly good pitching depth, and, of course, they're getting a Cy Young season. Or 
in a, in the universe where Jacob Degrom does not exist, uh, are getting a Cy Young caliber season out of Kevin Gaussman, which obviously helps when you have a guy with a ERA under two and a ERA plus over two hundred. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot. But like, if you look back and like, how many of these things could Fangraphs or anyone could playoff odds or, or predictions or projections have seen coming? The return to not just usefulness, but like excellence from po- from Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria. No, no, no projection system in the world was going to take three, four guys, all of whom are 33 or older, all of whom were coming off either non-existent or awful 2020 seasons, and all of whom have been on the down on the downslope of their careers, both offensively and defensively, and even just in terms of like sheer uh, durability and longevity. And assume that oh yeah, all of them are going to have four of the like four peak seasons all together at once, uh, when they haven't done that in probably five seasons. So I don't necessarily think that I mean, and I don't I know that the math doesn't need defending, but just to note that the things that the Giants are doing are things that really nobody could have seen coming. Gaussman was great last year, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. You know, the 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 resurgence of Anthony DiSclefani and Alex Wood, I really doubt anyone saw coming. They got good results out of Aaron Sanchez, even though it was only six starts. Uh, a bullpen that is Jake McGee. I don't even recognize half the names in the in the Giants bullpen. What is a Caleb Barragar? I know John Brian Rep Bannister just, yeah, and Andrew I'm, Bailey, I'm, man. Yes, this team has done a fantastic job with pitching development, mm-hmm. and that's also something I don't think projections can see because project obviously because projections can't tell. Oh, who's swapping out this pitch for another? Who's who is improved their release and their extension on something like? All these little minor things that the projections can't see that may have been happening through the coaching staff, or the, and I know that we've talked too that if you could have ex- like if there were a reason to expect Posey, Belt, Crawford, and Longoria to be better this season, it's that one neither of them had to play a full season last year, which I imagine helped them a lot. And especially Posey basically took a year and a half off of, of playing to to get himself healthy again, which obviously has helped a lot. And the fact that I think there is just more depth behind them so that there is more, they can get these guys more time off and put them in better situations because they have better guys behind them like uh, Lamonte Wade Jr. and Darren Ruff and Wilmer Flores and an outfield that's been pretty useful behind beyond uh, Steven Duger and, and when he's been healthy, Mike Yastrzemski. It's, you know, I, I think, and pitching-wise too, the depth has been a lot better there and just that, they, you know, that they've had guys they've been able to bring up who have been useful as opposed really to last year when it just felt like the Giants, and I think the Giants and Red Sox are kind of similar in that regard, where it just felt like for a lot of last season they were cycling through a lot of really, really bad depth options. Guys who didn't really deserve regular playing time, but that they had to pull up and play because they really just didn't have another choice. And you saw that especially in the pitching staff when they're giving, you know, uh, starts to Trevor Cahill and to, I mean, last year Gaussman was good, but they, you know, Johnny Cueto, Tyler Anderson were getting starts. This is not, and, and you know, that that's not the, 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 the bones of a championship team. I think what a lot of has helped and that also maybe the projections might have missed um, to a certain degree, although I think Dan Zimborski's zips kind of keyed in on it because his projections do factor in a lot of that depth. I think the Giants were one of those teams that all, this offseason that really made us, that really smartly added a lot of potentially potentially useful guys to the back end of the roster. And I think those guys have been able to help, to help keep things going when the when the stars have either slowed down or not been available. So I don't know I don't know how feasible that is. I don't I don't know what to make of this Giants team in terms of whether or not they're going to be good going forward. I don't see any reason to think otherwise. 
it's really all just going to depend on the health and productivity of those older guys and of the death pieces they have. But so far so good. Right. And I think it's entirely, I think it makes sense. Like if you were to look, if you look at what the giants have done, I think it's not exactly a surprise. It's just something we couldn't necessarily see coming because it was based on stuff that really it was going to be kind of hard to project. Yeah. But this is why games are played, John. This is fun. I like when things like this happen. Um, the White Sox, John, a team you were very in on before this season. Um, they are not real. That is a takeaway I have. Is The White Sox are 30-15 and 15 against the AL Central and just 16-24 and 24 against teams with a winning record, John. Frauds. Frauds, I say. That is my key takeaway is the White Sox bet against them come postseason time. The AL Central sucks, so they'll they'll win that division going away, but don't buy any White Sox stock. Is that a fair takeaway? Yeah, I'm 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 equally skeptical. I mean that that they really have just beat up a lot on what has turned out to be a very bad division. I mean, and I think we all knew that coming in that the only real competition in the central was going to be between the White Sox and the Twins. That was what we all thought coming into the season. And of course, Minnesota just decided never even to get going in that regard. And Cleveland simply doesn't have anywhere near the offensive talent to make up for the fact that their pitching staff is just in shambles right now. So I at least agree with that idea that this is a White Sox team that if they were in a more competitive division or had actual competition better, yeah, they would be in a lot. They, this, they would be in a much different place. And that can't be discounted when it comes to thinking about how they're going to do going forward. I mean, I still do like plenty of the pieces this White Sox team has. I mean, assuming that, like, Cole, he figures out his way in a post-sticky universe. I think uh, Giolito is obviously a top-flight starter. Lance Lynn has been very good. Um, the bullpen has been better. I know they've, you know, like Liam Hendricks. I really like what they might have in Michael Kopech as a multi-inning guy who they could use in the playoffs just to, you know, get through – get through at least a chunk of the lineup or go through two innings and just provide some length. And at some point they'll get Aloy Jimenez back. So in the near, it seems like in the relatively near future, so that can only help the offense. But yeah, I, I, it's tough because I don't think we've, as much as I agree that I don't think the White Sox are, are are true steel contenders. And I know you think the Astros are that are the kind of the class they are right now. I also don't think we've gotten to see the White Sox at full strength really at any point in time. And to some degree, we're not going to because, you know, they've lost Nick Madrigal for the season. They lost Luis Robert for the season. You know, they lost, uh, well, they got rid of Adam Eaton, which is a good thing. But, you know, we're, we're not going to get to see the 2021 White Sox we all thought we were going to get. And also, all the, a lot of those guys are going to be dealing with injuries and other issues throughout the year anyway. But I, I do think that makes a difference in terms of why we haven't seen the White Sox team we thought we were going to see. I just don't think we've ever gotten the – I mean, they're still doing stuff like playing Billy Hamilton all the time and Lurie Garcia and Zach Collins is a – like now that Yasmani Grandal is out for for, for for a good chunk of time. You know, we're going to see a lot more Zach Collins in, in the mix. Like it, it's just hard to be consistent and, and maintain consistency and especially to have the, the ability to beat those top teams whenever when you don't have your full healthy roster. And I think that's probably the biggest question I have for Chicago going forward is knowing, like I said, you're not going to get Madrigal back and you're not going to get Robert back, you know, and you're going to have to deal with, like, what do you do with the deadline to fortify this roster? Because, yeah, you can win the, the Central right now with this roster. No problem. Like, this this team is, the, the rest of the teams in that division, as we said, are very bad. But this is not a team that's going anywhere unless you bulk it up and do something to add depth 
where you need it, you know, outfield, infield, maybe a, maybe an extra arm to help you get through the rest of the season in case Giolito continues to struggle. Maybe it's another bullpen arm so you don't burn Hendricks out. They have to do something, I think. And I think that's where I would agree with you that this, if this White Sox team is – if the White Sox that we see on August 1st, or I guess on July 31st, it's the deadline is the 30th, are the same ones that we see now, then yes, I will join you in saying the White Sox are frauds. They will not win anything more than the division, and I will easily pick them to be a first-round upset at the hands of whichever team they end up matched up with. Um, because, yeah, I, I, it's it's very easy to win the Central if you're the White Sox. But, yeah, I, I think we're, we're still missing something. I, I, they're definitely missing what they need more to be better than that. Yeah. Your next takeaway, we'll each do one more as we wrap up here on this uh... Wednesday edition of the pod. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any. I mean, I have some that are spicy because, for you. If I can run through, and you can tell me which ones you want to hit. You I mean, I know, I know you have. I know you have. If you want to just do a little lightning round of takeaways, yeah. from just like that's fine or that's preposterous. Go for it. <laughs> the Cardinals added Nolan Arenado, which was like a huge deal because of what they had to give up for him, and they're just. They're not even average. They're just like a slightly below no, average. They team. can't. They can't hit. Yeah. Way too much. They've had way too many injuries, and they didn't have nearly enough depth there. The Cardinals were a team like I, I know we all love the Arenado trade, but yeah. Up until that point, I think a lot of people had said, "What are they doing this offseason?" Because they haven't really done anything. And then they right. got Arenado, and it was like, "Okay, well that's going to be enough because the NL Central is trash." Mm-hmm. Nope. Turns out it was not enough. Um, and I think the Cardinals are one of those teams at that point where it's like, I, I, I don't know what their path is at this point because I don't know. I haven't paid enough attention to them to know any and beyond like they've struggled offensively to know kind of what is the solution for them. But another central team that probably could have probably could have stood to try a little harder in the offseason. I think that's maybe that's my takeaway aside from Milwaukee, which has which also didn't try all that hard in the offseason, but is nonetheless succeeding because it is having just an incredible pitching season. Uh, a lot of the central teams could have tried harder. A lot of them could have tried harder. And I know you've got this take, dude. It's like, you know, especially I think the Cubs are one of those teams. It's like, why did they not do more? They could have they could have been right in the I know that you know, they, they weren't do the more. It's I, I, I just find it hard to understand what the kind of mindset was for all the other teams in the NL Central. I know the Reds also kind of tried, but they also had a bit of a terrible. Well, hold on. Too. Shout out to the Reds, two outfield all stars. Like, looks like they're going to keep Castellanos. Can we like, can we talk about the fact that the that the starting outfield for the National League in the All Star game was Brian Reynolds, Jesse Winker, and Jose and Nick Castellanos? Who the hell saw that coming? I'm here for it, man. Like we were all we were all probably ready for our Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, uh, whoever in center field. Jackie Bradley uh, it, it, for defense. Yeah, in my heart, yes. But <laughs> or, or just put put like make Bryce Harper make the team and just throw him on one of their two. Yeah. And instead we get Brian Reynolds and Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. And not only do we get that, but that was those were unequivocally the right choices. Yeah. But hey, this is why we play the game, John. Um why it's, it's, it's why you don't play it on computers, you play it on grass or or dirt or fake grass or whatever. Last one and we'll wrap up. Uh, key takeaway for me, uh, Shohei Otani is good for the sport, John. Didn't know I'd have to say this, but that's a key wow, takeaway. That's Otani's good for the one. sport. See, I thought your spicy Otani thing would be he's not the MVP. Mm. No, I don't know how you choose anyone who isn't him as the MVP at this point. For the AL, yeah. Is he the best I don't, player in baseball I, I altogether? Just... No, if only because DeGrom exists... 
Mm-hmm. It's tough. I, I mean, he's the fact that we can even have this conversation mm-hmm. is great. Um, man, I mean, I just I just look at it this way. You, you talk about here's the thing: the among all players in wins above replacement, Otani is number one at five point six in Baseball Reference. Degrom is at five even. Gaussman's at five even. Zach Wheeler's at four point nine. Your closest position player is Fernando Tatis at 4.3. By war, but, but by position player war, Otani is ninth in the majors overall, 3.7. Your lead, the guys ahead of him in the AL are Semyon, Vlad Jr., Joey Gallo, uh, Carlos Correa, and Cedric Mullins. I think the guy who has the best case there is probably Vlad Jr., especially if he wins the Triple Crown, which he is winning in. He's ahead in batting average by a point over Nick Castellanos and by six points ahead of Michael Brantley. He's leading an on-base percentage by a very healthy gap over the rest of the league. and he's But he's 40 points behind Otani in slugging percentage. So, yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to get weirdly kind of a kind of a, 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 a different flavor of the Miggy-Trout debate, I think, in that Vlad, I think, is going to be the guy that I don't know, though. Ultimately, I just have such a hard time seeing anyone not being won over by the Otani story. If he were hitting great and pitching poorly, I think it'd be very easy for people to say, no, he's not an MVP, whatever. But because he's hitting great and pitching well, I don't know. I I, I just don't see another – I don't see the argument for anyone else at this point, unless Vlad Jr. goes absolutely buck wild in the second half. I I think Otani is just – because what what an excellent thing – that would be for baseball to recognize this guy who is easily the, the the biggest name in the sport right now and the most important player to the sport right now. If you want a big like spicy takeaway, Shohei Otani's not just the best player, but he's the most important player to the to the future of baseball at this point. Interesting. He, the whole sport, not the whole sport, but a lot of the sport revolves around him. What's and what also he does cool is he, is he and Mike Trout get to uh, experience zero postseasons together. Yeah, and that's something that unfortunately MLB can't do anything about. But at the very least, like you, he is capable. You gotta love when you have the two all-time, just like all-time greats, just wasting away in Los Angeles. Yeah, but at the very least, like I think he is a he is a player more so than Vlad Jr., more so than Tatis, more so than Trout, more so than I think anyone in the league who can bring mainstream attention to baseball in a way it has not seen since the home run chase. And and yeah, I, I think you know, obviously there there's like you saw it in the All Star game, you saw it in the Derby. There's so many great players in baseball right now that we should all like. This should be the front and center of the sport. But I think Otani has already kind of proven himself. Like he is the guy who the sport really should build around, no matter what Stephen A. Smith thinks. John Taylor, what uh, can we check out from you from Fangraphs this week as we wrap up this Wednesday edition of the show? Uh. What is I mean, we'll, we're we're doing some obviously some first half wrap up. Uh, we've got some zips projections for the second half. We're going to have our trade value series coming out shortly to kind of just rank uh, rank baseball players by what their trade value is ahead of the deadline. Of course, we'll have all kinds of deadline coverage once we get closer to that. And if you check out the site now, obviously it happened on Sunday and is all over now. But uh, we have all kinds of post draft coverage, including a day one slash round one recap from Eric Longenhagen and Kevin Goldstein, our prospect experts. And of course, all those players, all those draftees, once they're signed and added to the system, will be added to our big board, which will be updated with new rankings and all that fun stuff. So if you're a prospect person, want to learn some more about the new guys entering the league post draft, 
come on come on over to Fangraphs, check out our post draft stuff. It's all very smart. All right, go do that, John Taylor. That should that should be that should be our our our, our slogan, Fangraphs. It's all very smart. <laughs> John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.